Hello and welcome to Literary Merit, the show where we tell you what media has value. Spoiler alert! It's all of it. Also, spoiler alert, we'll be discussing spoilers as usual. Here's your warning. I'm Ashley. And I'm Alex and I'm faking energy. I am here from beyond the grave. (laughs) Spooky! Spooky October! I'm so dead. I had a performance today. Yes. But let's do a five minute masters. Alex. Five minute masters. Five minute masters from I'm first, Beyond the right? Grave. Yeah. I'm usually first. Usually. So, um, I'm not great at coming up with these, but so I've, in the past, I've read to you about things I've been researching for my various writings. Yes. That's how we found out about jelly bean. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite word. Um,. So I'm going to talk to you about Sio, Oregon. Sio. Sio, Oregon is a city in Lynn County, Oregon. Population was 838 people in the year 2010. Okay. Um, uh, Oregon geographic names suggest that Sio was named by one of the original residents, William McKinney, who with Henry... L. Turner set up a flour mill in the new town. Hmm. That was uh, in uh, a long time ago, in the 1800s, 1866 was when it was incorporated. Um, the name is comes from Sio, Ohio. Sio, Ohio, which is in turn named for a Greek island of Chios. Okay. Um, <laughs> And the Italian version of that name is Sayo. Okay. Uh, Chios is the fifth largest of the Greek islands. Neat. <laughs> Which means it's like one of the smallest. <laughs> Actually, no, there's a lot of little There's ones. a lot of islands in yeah. Greece. Um, I don't think anything really cool happened. Except for there was, I guess, a site of a Chios massacre in which tens of thousands of Greeks on the island were massacred by the Ottoman troops during the Greek War of Independence in 1822. 18. Okay. Well, what about the Oregon one? Anyway, Sio, Oregon. I don't want to talk about why I'm researching it because that's too sad. Okay. (laughs) um, It's best known for its bridges. Oh, wow. Well, they've got a lot of competition in Oregon. Sio refers to itself as the covered bridge capital of the West. Precious. So they're not regular bridges. They're covered bridges. Uh Uh-huh. Like, I would say my best example that I can conjure for the audience would be um Beetlejuice. Sure, sure. The covered bridge where they die. Yeah, well I was thinking um like uh, uh Sleepy Hollow. Yes. Covered bridge. Mm-hmm. They're very quaint. It's a, you definitely see those more on the East Coast than you do over here. Oh yeah, which is why this they're the cap it's, it's a town of 838 people. Yeah, that's But they're the covered bridge capital of the West. Yeah, not a lot of So they have 5 covered bridges in the town proper and Eight in total in the whole county. Okay. Um, and yeah, so there's they you can you can go to the bridges. They're they're quite quaint. Oh, it's precious. Yeah, that what one's a... got a nice little reflection. Oh yeah, that Man. one's got like it, they're adorable trusses. Yeah, nice yeah. covered bridges, guys. Yeah, good job, good job on those bridges. Yeah. 
So Neat. I'm writing. I'm writing. Going to be writing about them. I I want to be visiting them as well for uh-huh. my for my research. Great. Um. So hopefully I'll be doing that soon. Exciting. Well, I can't wait to hear more about these bridges. <laughs> it probably won't be so positive, but fair enough. You know, family tragedy and all. But yeah, Sio, Oregon. Fun name. It is fun name and a and an adorable place. Also, they have a little. Like one restaurant. One restaurant. <laughs> and so Five covered bridges, but one restaurant. And it's, I believe it's like the covered bridge in or something. Ah, uh, I love it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, okay, because I'm me, we're going back to mythology here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was recently needing to just put something on to crank some work out because I have been so, so, so busy preparing for this play my play opened this weekend y'all and it's great it's been so much fun it's going really really well i'm super tired but um i decided to rewatch some of um troy rise of an empire because i like it and i'd already seen it so i didn't need to pay attention and i was like i want to know more about the trojan war like and let the writings about it and stuff and so what i learned is actually the sort of story that normally goes along with the, the the Trojan War is more than just the Iliad. I didn't know this because I've never read the Iliad. I've read mm-hmm. the Odyssey, but I've never read the Iliad. It's only part of the story. Like, even, like, the film with Brad Pitt. Like, it contains more than just the Iliad. Yeah. Um, so there's the uh, epic cycle, which um, sometimes the... Uh, Homeric works are included in this, um, the Iliad and the Odyssey, but um, generally the epic cycle refers to the non-Homeric texts that are about the Trojan War. Um, So the first is uh, Cypria, which is the events leading up to the Trojan War, um, the judgment of Paris, that whole, you know to the fairest thing and the first nine years of the war (laughs) that's all before the iliad (laughs) so that's interesting then comes the iliad in the chronology and that only covers um it's basically the achilles story so it's achilles being mad at agamemnon and then being mad at Hector, <laughs> and eventually not being mad at Priam. So <laughs> his whole, yeah, and it's actually really great, um, because the whole point of the Iliad is Achilles' rage, and Achilles overcoming his rage. He's a very angry person, first at Agamemnon, uh, for being Agamemnon, and for taking his war prize, and then at Hector for killing Patroclus, um, and then Priam is like, hey, can you put your rage aside and, like, give me my son's body? And Achilles is like, This yeah, one time. <laughs> yeah, I can do that. And that's the end of the Iliad. It's Achilles growing as a human being <laughs> shortly before dying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how all Greek yeah. Greek stuff works. Is like, you learn your lesson and then you die. Yes. Or, or you don't. Or you die. Dying is the lesson. Dying is the lesson. Or there's just no lesson. Uh, <laughs> the, after the Iliad is the uh, Ethiopis, I think is how it's pronounced. So that's the arrival of uh, the Trojan allies, uh, the Amazons, um, and then Achilles um, kills them, and Achilles then dies. <laughs> <laughs> then comes something called the Little Iliad. 
<laughs> like little Italy. Yeah. Little Iliad. The little Iliad, which is the Trojan horse bit. Right. Achilles, after Achilles' death, building the Trojan horse. Um, and then the Iliopersis, or the sack of Troy, kind of speaks for itself. That's the it's when they sack Troy. Uh, <laughs> after the horse, the Nostoi returns so this is that's the return home of the greek force um including the returns of agamemnon and menelaus where um agamemnon gets murdered by his wife clytemnestra and her lover (laughs) because he's a douche then the odyssey which we all know what that is and then the telegony which is odysseus's voyage uh to thesprotia and his return to ithaca so like that's not even in the Odyssey. Like, him actually getting home yeah. is not in the Odyssey. That's in the Telegony. Um, and then uh, he is he ends up being killed by his illegitimate son, Telegonus. That's why it's called the Telegony. <laughs> but I just found it so interesting that it's like, it's often just the shorthand. It's like, oh, the Iliad and the Odyssey. When there's really all these other works yeah. by these non-Homeric writers mm-hmm. that are really important to the story and the parts of the story yeah. that are crucial. I mean, Homer didn't write about the Trojan horse. Like, he <laughs> didn't... That's not in his works. It's somebody else. Uh, so I just found that really, really fascinating because I thought I knew about the classics, but I didn't know this. So, pretty neat. So today, today. we're going to talk about a, 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 a lovely movie. Was it, though? Well, well, we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> it definitely has some loveliness in it. Uh, so we we are discussing the 2004 film De Lovely, which is the biopic about Cole Porter, uh, starring Kevin Klein and Ashley Judd. And we chose this because you were busy. I was so busy. And I wasn't. So, <laughs> so you we picked a movie that I had already needed to watch. That I had already seen. <laughs> so, yeah, let's just... First thoughts. How do you? What did you think of it? So, I was, I sat down to watch it, and after watching it, I felt like I had already seen it. Oh. I think I, I my parents had probably watched it, and, and I was just, just present. Yeah. Um, back when it came out, because like the sort the sort sort of um, spiral decline was yeah. very familiar. Uh huh. Um, the whole and yet like, it, it, it is also just and, uh, such a such a familiar tale you know it's 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 a story that's been told again and again like it's not it's a sad story but it's one that's happened to many people yeah and i didn't i definitely didn't dislike it but i did feel like it was a product of its time 2004 very um, much because it's very hollow i felt like it was very hollow in a lot of places like oh they're really the only thing that we see of them as like having any sort of connection is that first meeting and like that sort of sing along in the mm-hmm. park. Well, did you ever? Yeah. And <laughs> after that, it's just like, they're just always in the same city. Yeah. You know, well, except when they're not, except when they're not. And then it's just like, okay, what do they have to do with each other? Right. Well, and yeah, that is the interesting thing about the real life. Cole and Linda Porter is, um, because, and I, and so obviously it's hard to know, especially this, you know, this much later, what the real relationship between Cole Porter yeah. and his wife was. Um, 
so in the little bit of research that I've done about Cole Porter's real life, it kind of seems like Cole Porter was just a gay man and Linda was interested in marrying him because they were good friends. They got along yeah. well. And, and it, it was, helped them both Yeah, out. it was socially advantageous for the both of them. Yeah. She was there to cover for his gayness. And he was there to, like, help her in her sort of socialite standing. Yeah, you know, help uh, and, her, you know, make friends. Have, have connections. Have nice things. Yeah, yeah, right. She got to have a certain lifestyle. He came from a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she got to have a certain lifestyle. And they have a rapport. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, and they here's the quips. thing. Yeah. They, she was a divorcee before they met. So it seems to me that if she didn't like being married to him, she, she could just, and would leave him. Yeah. But they were married until her death. So yeah. that tells me that, like, they, they had a good partnership. Yeah. Whatever it was to them. Yeah. Being married was the thing that they wanted to do. Yeah. What I will say is the movie doesn't do a great job of saying whatever it is the relationship really is. Well, because they wanted it to be this great romance when in it reality maybe it wasn't. was a great friendship, probably. Yes, a great probably partnership. so. Because it's very like he loses her and then he loses his will to live. Uh-huh. And also it's just like, you know, oh, he loves her, but then he's Going off and doing these things. He's just things. such a such a partier. He's a, such a cad that Cole and when you know, and she's like, "Oh, I just I'm so hurt by these things that you're doing." When really, it was probably more like, "Hey, Cole, you need to like chill out, ki- keep things under wraps. Like you got to <laughs> keep these private photos. Yeah, like you, you of your so you know it was escapades. more yeah less of maybe a personal hurt and more of like a yeah. a, a, a social concern. Yeah. Um. But that's not in the movie. What's in the movie is this sort of tenuous romance. Hot, cold. The way that they frame it is that she is deeply in love with him. And he really does love her, but, but not he, as much and as... And he has his appetites. His appetites. Yeah, it's it's got some weird shades of homophobia, yeah. for sure. Yeah, it's very 2004. Very 2004, where they're like, <laughs> yeah, he's gay, and, and he, you know, it's fine that he's gay, except, you know... Except for it makes her really sad. Yeah, so it's, <laughs> it's a little... Yeah, like when um, the scene where he's in California, and he's like playing at the piano with all the boys at the pool uh-huh. and she walks in and, and then she leaves. leaves and it's like you told him that it was fine like <laughs> make up you your- wanted to go to california yeah it was her idea wasn't it yeah well, all of it was her yeah <laughs> so yeah her character was a little uh, yeah iffy she was stunning the whole movie oh i love it and she Judd. did a, she did a good job the role wasn't necessarily well written i didn't feel no like. the funny thing is ashley judd actually took a huge um salary cut in order to play the role because she just really wanted to do the yeah. part well uh, she did a good job she did a good job she's lovely though it's funny um because she linda in real life was actually several years older than cole porter mm-hmm. ashley judd is like 10 years Kevin Klein's Jr. Well, that's Hollywood. <laughs> that's, yeah. No, but also, she just really wanted the yeah. role. Mm-hmm. Like, she just wanted it. Yeah. Um, and uh, Kevin Klein was very, very, very good as Cole Porter. I love Kevin Klein deeply. <laughs> just <laughs> deeply. Though it's funny, he's um, obviously, in real life, a very talented singer. Cole Porter was not. Yeah. And so he had to really, like, limit his voice mm-hmm. in order to 
portray this character who was... Yeah, he, they don't have him sing too often. I mean, he has like three, four it's songs. Not like a handful, but... But they're not like big belting moments. Like, yeah. Even a couple of them, he's almost whispering them. Yeah, because, yeah, Cole oh, Porter just had that I will very say, thin voice. So the movie didn't really get me too many times. But when they're at the piano, when he knows she's dying, oh my and God. he's singing the goodbye the, song. The, the song from Kiss Me, Kate. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that got me too. Well, and I just, I love that song yeah. so much. Yeah. And the way it like cuts to the like premiere performance of yeah. the show. And she's not there because she's too sick. Yeah. It's very, very good. Yeah. I, I adore that song. And, you know, at times I was really impressed with the way that they really made it look like the time in which it took yeah. place. Mm-hmm. Like, especially that and, like, the stage and the costumes on stage for Kiss Me, Kate. Like, it all looked so yeah. authentically 1940s. Mm-hmm. It was very cool. Like, it almost looked technicolor. I will say there were some very strange choices, and I will chalk it up to it being 2004. <laughs> like... Here's the story of your life as told by you, as told by me, the director, showing you the play of your life as yeah. you're dying. Well, and I think that the, the Jonathan Price character is supposed to be the Death. angel Gabriel. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they do the Gabriel blow your horn right, thing right, at the right, end. Right, so I right, think right. he's Gabriel, yeah. the angel. And that, that becomes more evident towards the end. But up, up until then, you're like, huh? Well, <laughs> what I... And honestly, one thing that I... I did kind of like that framing device because it felt very like him theater yeah uh but like, when you're like first getting into the movie i didn't like have really any knowledge of what was going on going in yes. i was like who's this what's guy? happening why is he in this old person makeup uh, yeah um but it felt very you know it was kind of like uh if you know carousel the rogers and hammerstein uh yeah the the sort of framing device of that one is that billy is like dead and in heaven and they're like hey uh, he's like, oh, I have to go back to Earth to do a good deed. And they're like, well, you're going to have to prove to us that you deserve it. So let's talk about your life. And then this whole story, right. the play is Billy, like, remembering the events of his life. Mm-hmm. So I, it kind of reminded me of that. And it mm-hmm. felt very, very theatrical. And yeah. that's what I liked about a lot of the movie is the way it's staged feels very theatrical. And it feels very appropriate. Yeah. But I just couldn't help but wonder how this movie would be if it were made today mm-hmm. instead i feel like it would probably be more accurate probably less fun though yeah well i don't know so because it's the most recent you know musician biopic that i've seen i was kind of comparing it to rocket man in certain mm-hmm. ways yeah um in the ways that like they sort of picked out different songs because they were appropriate for the moment and they weren't necessarily chronologically right. accurate uh-huh. Um, which I am down with and works, and I like that it is actually a musical. Yeah. Um, in the way that Rocket Man is, um, I think that's very good for a, especially about a man who is writing so, musicals, such an important figure in the history yeah. of stage musicals. Mm-hmm. Like Kiss Me, Kate won the very first Tony for best musical, the very first Tony Award for best musical, and that's very cool because he beat Rodgers and Hammerstein at their own game. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so that, that worked for me, uh, making it a musical, but yeah, there were times like where it felt very, like, very contemporary, like it felt, it felt like it would fit into a a contemporary film, but other times it felt like really cheesy. Yeah. Like his accident scene was really melodramatic. 
Yeah. When like the he's like falling off the horse and it's like whoa. And then the horse starts to get up and then falls back down yeah. near a crunch. Well, and that is what happened. Um, I know, but it was like yeah, it yeah. Was... But it was all the slow mo. Yeah, in real life, he was not alone. First of all, he was horseback riding with friends. Um, but. Yeah, like his horse fell and then like rolled over onto his legs. Yeah. And that's why they got so broken. But it, it just the way it was filmed was really over the top and melodramatic with all the slow-mo and the... Uh, yeah. It looked really fake. It also was a little bit tough to watch because that last act of the movie is so different in tone to the it's rest really of the movie. It's really tragic. It's really dark, really tragic. Just like the first time any of the characters cry is in the last third. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Kevin Klein in all his old man makeup. In all his old man makeup, and then just and then when he's just frustrated and she's outside the door just crying. Uh, yeah, that's really really part. devastating that he. And I was okay. So one thing I'm real, I'm mad about a couple things. But one thing that really made me mad is when the guy that she picked out for him, and they're like a great match, but they don't show too much of their chemistry at all. Mm-hmm. But oh, when he like, like kicks them out at the end, I'm like, he's like your guy yeah yeah so i i was curious about that character too i was like is was he a real life person so it seems that that character was fabricated for the movie but sort of based, based on, on a, a real couple. life person yeah. um who uh ostensibly did not have a sexual relationship with cole he was just sort of like a friend and a companion and yeah. a caretaker in his old age and um, that's sort of how they show him mm-hmm. but you can it's heavily implied that like they the, might the have a romantic yeah. relationship. Um, yeah, it's not really... Especially because he's a designer. Right. They do make him an interior designer. The real life guy was not an interior <laughs> designer. And it was kind of weird. Like, why is he... Like, it's because a, they needed a coded word for gay. You think so? I think so. Okay. And in 2004... Desi- yeah, designer. Yeah. The interior designer <laughs> is the gay... Yeah. Yeah, Even I, though the movie takes place in what year? Like, the... Well, yeah. That the, part his, is, like, the late his, 50s? His, yeah, his death is in the late... Like, 58 or yeah, something. Yeah, so. Yeah, uh, probably. You're probably right. That makes him just sort of queer-coded. Um, because, yeah. I mean, he doesn't do, he doesn't ever kiss him. No, no. He's just, he he's just like a caretaker. And he gives him the little token, which the, was The really cigarette cute. box. Yeah. Oh, my heart. My heart <laughs> broke in that moment. Yeah. I will say the last scene is really good. Or the last, the last song, the. The, the Gabriel song. The yeah. Blow Gabriel. Blow, yeah. yeah. I guess it's not the last song. because But they, like the big they song. They repeat the, one of the other songs. Yeah. Um, so I was wondering what you thought of the use of contemporary pop musicians as performers in the movie. Did you notice that? No. Okay. So, so who's in it? So the the woman who sings. Because um, I was watching, but I I had like my computer there, and I was so the, sort of, like, the back first and forth. um the first oh, musical of yes, the stage. All this, that's this, a, the the like so background the, players, but they but, were the, but they were like performing the songs in they clubs were, yeah. or in yeah. Alanis Morissette. Okay. Was the I didn't was the recognize first, her, yeah. but yeah, she sings um, uh, let's do it. Okay. Um and there was she, one lady who sang my favorite song in the whole movie. They were like in a club. Oh, she sang the uh, love for sale. I think yes. Yeah, I that's loved a great song. That song. Well, I'll get back to love for sale because I have some <laughs> things to say about that. But um, Cheryl Crow, Elvis Costello, various like all of the like featured singers yeah. were like pop. There were a pop lot singers. of people. Yeah. Uh huh. Um. So like, I guess if if you didn't necessarily, I'm know, bad with. With, like, famous people, yeah. so 
And because they're a little, like, uh, Right, they were famous time. in 2004. Yeah, which I knew some of them, but yeah. I don't necessarily know what they all look like. Yes. Um, I thought that it... It looked great. They sounded amazing. Yeah, I'm. I'm a little on the fe- like. I wish that they had either because obviously they were not performing them period accurate, right? At all, right? Because um, it was different. It was covers. Co- yeah, and so like I mean, versions. like Alanis Morissette is not singing "Let's Do It" the way that it would have been sung right. in you know in that time. Um, and like that's fine with me. I certainly don't have a problem with making that kind of choice to sort of update it in order to make it more fun and palatable to a contemporary audience i almost wish that they had gone further with it um and and maybe invited in a little bit more anachronism i feel like the degree of anachronism was too little it it was a little too split between like whenever there's a song going on everything's staged and whenever Mm -hmm. there's just people acting it's like a movie like yeah it it felt like two movies sort of weaving together well and i guess i what i'm feeling is like if they were going to get anachronistic with it i wish that they had taken it further it just felt like the wrong amount yeah yeah Yeah. like again weaving those singers as characters even Mm -hmm. as like this is a person that's saying some lines yeah um or or, you know i know what you mean yeah 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 it's sort of like do a you know a Baz lerman thing because there were a lot of Characters that just come in and out of their lives. Yeah, I mean, all that the don't even really have songs. names. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like yeah. John Barrowman. And yeah, I, yeah, I wish that they had committed a little bit more to the anachronism if they were going to yeah. put it in there. Um, interesting thing about the John Barrowman character, because um, he seems to be like in the story of the film, the first actor to perform the song Night and Day. In real life, the first actor to perform Night and Day was Fred Astaire, (laughs) (laughs) who I don't believe Cole Porter had had a romantic relationship (laughs) with. Um, So that was kind of a funny little thing that they decided to do. But it was it was very sweet with the carriage ride, the little carriage surprise. Oh, I brought you a present, (laughs) John Barrowman, (gasps) for me. Yeah, and that was kind of an interesting scene, showing sort of how. All of these people were sort of like enabling him. Yeah, and just yeah, there there was just this whole other world happening behind yeah. the scenes. And then even all... like with the like fake out blackmail sort of stuff, mm-hmm. where they're like everybody knows about it. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, then let's chill out about it. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't. Yeah, they couldn't. It was the early twentieth century. I there know. was no chill. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, uh, Love for Sale. What a great song. What a really, really, really great song. Um, and the and I just got all these fun facts for you about <laughs> these songs. And about, who sang it in the movie? Do you know? I can't remember. I'll look it up. Because um, so, I didn't recognize her, but I didn't recognize anybody. <laughs> so Love for Sale was performed by Vivian Green who is an R&B and soul artist that I am unfamiliar with. Same, but she did a she spectacular killed job. It. Um, yeah, really interesting. So that it's like a a, a standard. That, the song is like an old standard. So it's not from a, one of his shows? Uh, it is, but the way the interesting thing is... It was like a single? Sort of. <laughs> so, because most of, during most of Cole Porter's career, musicals weren't really written as like, 
a story that had songs telling the story. Oh, it was hit songs that made it. It was like it was just like show. some songs and then a story sort of framed around it. Like okay. it wasn't um so It was his album that they then had people act to. Pretty much. It was all very <laughs> disjointed. They weren't really very like serious endeavors of storytelling. Yeah. Um and then Rodgers and Hammerstein sort of changed the game and um and then he beat them at their own game. He did. Kiss Me Kate's so good. But, um, and then Rodgers and Hammerstein won a lot of stuff and were very, very successful. But, so yeah, a lot of Cole Porter songs are standards um, because it's easier um, when a song just sort of, it, they, those kinds of songs just really stand on their own better than something from an integrated musical. Right, um, that, has that has more context. People talking plot with yes. music. Yes. <laughs> Um, but because that song, Love for Sale, is explicitly about a prostitute, it was a little too hot for air. Yeah. So it, but it was still extremely popular as an instrumental. Oh. Yeah. Very interesting. <laughs> like they couldn't air the version with lyrics on the radio. That's amazing. Um, but the instrumental version still took off because he was a damn good songwriter so many good songs this man wrote i can't take it just blows my mind and I'm, i was pretty unfamiliar but even i recognized a couple of them i mean i wouldn't be able to tell you the titles right off the top of my uh-huh. head but but you've like, heard you know, anything yeah. goes yeah. And... and the 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 clown one Oh, yeah, be a clown? Yeah. Yeah, I like that the movie was really taking the piss out of Louis B. Mayer because it was an MGM movie. <laughs> right? <laughs> but... I was like, this is about the MGM studio as one of the last hurrahs for the MGM studio. <laughs> I... I mean, I think they they dispersed af- a little further after this, but it was mm-hmm. like, you don't see the logo anymore. So it's kind of like, oh, it's an MGM movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... Just really, really, really good music. Um, Every Time We Say Goodbye. That's such a beautiful song. That's the one that they sing together at the piano, right? Um, No, that one was performed by Natalie Cole. Okay. Um, Every time we say goodbye, I cry a little. Yeah. Yeah. Um, No, the one they sing that he sings to her at the piano is... um, uh, so in love from Kiss Me Kate. Okay. Um, uh, but yeah, Cheryl Crow performed Begin the Begin, um, which I had to look up because I was like, what is the because be- it's Begin the B E G U I N E, um, and it's a dance which is from like the West Indies and actually in the um, like language i'm i'm sorry i'm super ignorant about the history of the region but basically the the word means like white woman mm-hmm. um and it was a a dance sort of based on the foxtrot so it was like the white woman dance right <laughs> so that was very interesting <laughs> um elvis costello saying let's misbehave and that was very cute mm-hmm. um obviously john barrowman performed night and day very cute. Um, it was a little hard to believe that he wasn't getting it. Because I'm like, that's John Barrowman. He knows how to get it. Right. Yeah, he had to... It's like, mm-hmm. Oh, He's yeah. Like, I can't get this song. It's too difficult. It's just a hard song to sing. I'm like, oh, yeah, really? You're, it's like, your okay, honeyed a little, pipes can't... A little, a little flirting and he's up to the task. Oh, I know. He just needed <laughs> to make eye contact with Kevin Klein and he had it. 
So cute. Uh, yeah. So, what else about this movie do we think? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think we already talked about how it's very 2004, like, the sort of, like, pre-brokeback gay relationship on film it's like oh here's a peck and they're in bed fully clothed Uh, right right (laughs) he has a little smooch with the 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 ballet dancer and that was like it that was it yeah like the first time that it's shown that they're having a sexual relationship they just like hug each other and it's like you're hugging i will say one of my favorite things is like the gossip between all the gays yeah like when he meets his other friend and they're like in the park on their way to the little piano thing Uh and he's like showing off his new boy or whatever yeah 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 Yeah, that's good and like and all the performers did a great job yeah like they really really did i mean kevin klein is always a delight and ashley judd really did yeah everything that you could with a fairly um flat roll yeah and it's just like looking back from now it's just a little underwhelming Mm-hmm. it would be done better now and i'm sure it would be done even better than now in you know 10 years <laughs> right yeah um but yeah like i feel like this is a movie my mom would just be bawling her eyes out to but it only like choked me up a little a couple uh-huh. times because i almost was like angry at the end i was like just mad that he had given up. But obviously, like, you can't blame him. Right. And he was, you know, he was quite old at that point. Yeah. He, and he lost his leg. Yeah. He he fought to keep his leg. That was one thing I thought was interesting. The way that they framed it that, like, Linda was the one that was like, don't amputate his legs. Don't do it. And the doctor's like, you're asking a lot of your husband. When in real life, Cole Porter refused to have his legs amputated for a very long time. Yeah. Like, it was a personal decision that he had made. It wasn't something that Linda had decided yeah. for him. Like, he was like, no, I will not let you take my legs. Um, until eventually there was just no, uh, there was nothing for it. Well, yeah, it was like 18 surgeries later. It's like. Yeah, many, many years. Um, it, and it's kind of interesting um, that at the time, um, who was it that visited him in the hospital when he was. Uh, Noel Coward, that's who it was, um, the playwright. Noel Coward was a good friend of his and visited him in the hospital at the time that he um, had his amputation and was like, man, he's going to feel so much better now. Like, he's been in so much pain and now that pain is all gone. But like, I think that this is going to be really nope. good for him. Nope. And he just, like, he, he just gave up. Yeah, because, like, he at least with the malfunctioning legs mm-hmm. could at least like convince himself he could still do the piano thing. Yeah, yeah. And it would work, but it would be very painful. Yeah, he never wrote another song after that point and just lived in relative isolation, only seeing like close friends. Um, but even then in the, in the movie, they show the close friends visiting and he's like, oh, we're here for the weekend. No, go home, please. No. Let me be sad. I need to be alone yeah. forever. Uh yeah yeah noel coward wrote in his diary the lines of ceaseless pain have been wiped from his face i am convinced that his whole life will cheer up and that his work will profit accordingly no that's somebody from the outside though yeah i mean and like and that's the thing is like he he, lost his best friend and his leg yeah and he like he 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 could have i mean because you know chronic pain is awful and if and if you're in chronic pain and then that pain is taken away that can be like a new lease on life but Porter had just sort of like 
given up. Well, there's a line in the movie, I don't remember exactly, but he's, like, talking about the phantom limb syndrome. Mm -hmm. And doesn't he, like, equate it to, like, his music, too? Where it's, like, it just doesn't... Yeah, I forget what that metaphor was. I don't remember how he words it, but it was really poignant. Yeah. Yeah, it was. (sighs) But he just was such a, such a talented man. Like, what... And, I mean, and, okay, the interesting thing is, like, he was also such a privileged person. Yeah. He came from, like... Oh, yeah, you see so many lavish houses in this movie. <laughs> I know. He was super rich, and then like, he before he had a career. Most, way, like, way a lot of money. Yeah. They had, like, convince him to have a career. <laughs> yeah. He, <laughs> At least in the movie. Yeah, his wife's like, hey, how about you, like... Write a musical. <laughs> cool. Sell your music. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and in real life, he had sort of been trying, and he had done some stuff. Right. But um, he, it wasn't like it was something he had to do because he was fine. He was partying, like right. Yeah, it was. They, he was a playboy. Yeah, very much. <laughs> um, the movie after they um, get married, it shows them living in Venice for a while. And at that time in Cole Porter's life, he had received a huge inheritance from his grandfather, and so that's when they got the Italian palazzo and yeah. started living it up in Italy. Yeah, Cole Porter was, he very much enjoyed luxury. He was a fancy <laughs> boy and he yeah. he loved to to throw crazy parties and give lavish gifts and things. He, right. was, he was a very privileged person and so he was living under circumstances that allowed him to just devote his, all of his work to his songwriting. Right. Like that's all that he had to be concerned about. He didn't, it, he wasn't doing it, you know, to make ends meet. Yeah. He just wanted to and could <laughs> and also he had money to cover up anything that would negative that could come up about him but i think he also just didn't really care in this i don't know it's really hard to tell just from the movie mm-hmm. but it's very like he's protected by his privilege by his friends like, you know he yeah. people want to be on his side because he has money and fame mm-hmm. and so they're not going to turn him in for like yeah i mean there were people whose whole livelihoods existed to you know discreetly cater to yeah people's less accepted yeah (laughs) preferences uh so yeah i mean he kept he kept i mean and that was the one of the interesting scenes in the movie was when he's like i consider it a luxury tax like i can afford it so i'm just gonna live this way yeah like, yeah, I'll, I'll pay this guy off because that's what I have to do in order to do what I want. Yeah. And I feel like probably the real life Linda would be like, well, you're still making me really nervous because if something gets out, like, we could be ruined. Mm-hmm. And it probably wasn't as much like a, how can you do this to me, your wife, kind of thing. <laughs> and She's like, I can only handle so much. I know you're bisexual, but... <laughs> yeah. And in real life, I think he was probably... Probably just gay. just gay. But like that whole scene where he's like, I kind of like you. And she's like, I kind of like that you're bi. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's fine. I'm kind of into it. It's, right. It works for me. Right. And then it's like later, it's like, she's really not. Yeah. Yeah. That's the rough thing. I mean. But that was also like when they were still sort of just dating. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The, the movie does feel kind of queasy about his homosexuality in that way where it's like it's the problem you know it's like oh well it's just who he is and he can't help it but it is a problem it's a problem and it's appetites like it's it's all these like gross yeah and it's like those are you know 
maybe those are the words that would have been used, but yeah. like the framing of the movie is like because because from the start it sets it up like she's the one, the greatest and the best. And so it's just him continually disappointing her right. with his gayness. <laughs> yeah, I would really be interested to see how someone would adapt the story of his life now mm-hmm. um, to see if they could maybe handle that relationship better <laughs> without sort of demonizing his Yeah, because it, it's, I, I don't think that making it a rom-com was a... Well, it's not even a rom-com. No, it's, it's just a romance. It's just a romance. Uh, making it a romance was necessarily the smartest genre choice. Yeah. Because it, it, it was very much set up about, like, this great love, this marriage. Right. Especially, like, in the preamble with... with yeah, it's like, oh, it's her. It's, like, it's her. Right. It's like, I didn't meet her yet. This is, like, the greatest love of my life. Yeah. It's like, and all the stuff about, like, oh, the songs, they were all about you. All about you, yeah. And she's like, no, they weren't. <laughs> but thank you for saying so. <laughs> I do like the moments where it's, like, the younger, like, stage version of her talking to... Like, his current older self. Mm. There's not a lot of them, but... Yeah. Just, like, sort of the, the wiping away the bullshit. Yeah. Or, and that moment when, um, it, the the scene when she had miscarried, um, when he's like, hey, I like, no, this isn't, this, right, is, this isn't how it went. Like, yeah. I don't remember it this way, and I don't like it, and I don't want to see it anymore. It happened, and then it was over. And to, for him to, like, have this real shame and discomfort about, his, yeah. like, the way that he handled things it was very interesting and very affecting Mm -hmm. but yeah just yeah there's a lot to really like in this movie for sure um and uh i mean a a big a big leg up was the very good music (laughs) the very that that really fun um gondola scene Mm -hmm. with um which song was that 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 where they were um on the uh, what is this thing called love? Yeah, that was really fun. It was just very magical and theatrical, and, and that was the right way to go. Um, this movie predated Chicago, right? I think so, yeah. I want to uh, say Chicago was like 2005, 2006. Yeah. Something like that, because that was another musical film that really... Uh, no, 2002. Whoa. So two years before DeLovely. Um, so maybe, I, I feel like probably DeLovely benefited from the example of Chicago because that was another one that really embraced the theatricality and the staginess yeah. um, within the, the film. So often when a, they put a musical on film, it just, they like movieify it. I don't really know what the yeah. word is. And it takes away some of the sort of energy of a musical and so this film definitely embraced the staginess and that was to its benefit for sure any final thoughts yeah i just want to go and watch kiss me kate i just want to watch chicago now (laughs) yeah that's a good movie i went through a phase where i watched that movie like every day when i was like 13 (laughs) it's a good one well okay um do we want to do recommendations now yeah yeah let me get my uh 
I think I'm a Bob ready. Yeah, do you want me to go first? Sure. Okay. So I owe this recommendation to Dylan, my brother. Um, he texted me the other day, like, yo, this is this is the song today. This is the jam for the day. Um, and the song was King of Swords Reversed by the Deer Hunter. Um and I, I listened to it. I was like, that's a fucking bop. This is a very, very good song. And I like the title, King of Swords Reversed. Good title. Um, so I was curious about it. So um, the Deer Hunter, uh, it's Deer, D-E-A-R. Very cute. Um, they're a musical group who seem to mostly do these very interesting concept albums. I need to listen to the rest of them, um, but the song, King of Swords Reversed, is on the album Act 4, Rebirth in Reprise. Um, so it's like this whole series of concept albums that mm. I think are all like related. They like they're all a sequence. Um, but this album is really good. Uh, it's from 2015. Um, it's just, it's just fun. Um, King of Swords Reverse is, that's the song that Dylan and I were kept singing today when we were hanging out because it's just stuck in my head forever. Um, it's just fun. And I, I tend to, when they're good, I really love concept albums because they just, the, the sort of story, I, I really like music with a story. And so yeah. it, it really draws me in. So it's, um, I don't know what to call the genre of it like it's rock music but like i don't really know what beyond that what to call it i get some like sort of coheed and cambria vibes in that it's like this whole big story concept album thing but they're a little poppier than coheed and cambria a little lighter um but it's just it's just really cool i recommend checking the song out um and see see what you think of it from there and you might find some cool shit what about you i've got a couple so the first one i binge watched in a day and a half and that was the politician on netflix Mm -hmm. um so i wouldn't recommend it for everybody it does it's it's a dark comedy it's a very dark comedy um there are some triggering elements especially in the first episode and they do give you a warning at the beginning of that episode which is nice mm-hmm. uh no not further in the season but just in that episode um yeah i was when you were watching it i, I was remarking how i was getting some sort of heathers vibes yeah. from it like not the tv show this is like the sort of spiritual successor to the film heathers. yeah mm-hmm. and it's very you know it doesn't necessarily it, it's it's a little confused about what it is because it's a Ryan Murphy fucking show. And Ryan Murphy doesn't know how to make a show about one thing. Um, at least when he's having fun, he doesn't know how to make a show about one thing. Like Pose, he knows what he's doing, but he's right. mainly just a producer on that. Um, and um, American Crime Story, he's a little more focused on. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are like dramas, not comedies right. or horror. <laughs> um, whatever. But this is very like... American Horror Story meets Glee. <laughs> yeah, with a little bit of election thrown in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's fun. And then the finale, it's like a couple years later and uh, Bette Midler's there now. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I would say watch it if you enjoy Ryan Murphy. If you're not a person that really likes his humor or his... Um, I don't know. <laughs> His tangents. 
then maybe pass. And then my other recommendation is Borderlands 3. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not that much of a gamer, but I do like Borderlands. Fake gamer. Um, and this one's fun because it's it's less stupid than the others. So the, the crass humor is a little more pulled back and um, there's actual like stakes. Mm. Um, and the villains are really at least um, on the first playthrough. <laughs> um, and, and the uh, Tyreen Calypso, the, the, the sister villain, um, I'm really compelled by her. The, the brother just didn't have enough there for him. Mm. But like she just has so many funny things that she says. And I've heard people like really say some negative stuff about her performance. And I'm like, you're just mad because it's a girl. Like, honestly. Because <sighs> she, she says some really funny things. Like she mixes in Spanglish sometimes. And it's really, really funny. That's great. Because it's a Hispanic actress yeah, playing she, her. Oh my gosh. She She's did so funny. Such a good job. Like, some people were like, oh, it was a little too, like, focused on the, being a streamer villain. It's like, there's really not that much of the streaming, like, you know. Yeah, people are just looking for something to hate on. Exactly. And I thought she was really good. She looked cool. She um, had all the best lines, I mean, to be honest. Which is, you know. I mean, they had to replace Claptrap pretty much. Yeah. I mean, like, he's still in the game, and he's got a different voice actor, and he's very similar sounding. Uh Uh-huh. But they they just... He's he's not following you along the whole story like he was previously. Yeah, that was... Which is honestly for the best. Yeah, if you're not going to have the original Claptrap, then... Yeah, he stays on the ship, and you visit. What I will say... I haven't even talked about the game play, (laughs) but... um, it reminded me a lot of Ratchet and Clank in that you're traveling world to world and finding weird guns. Mm. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's recommendations done? That's recommendations. So now... New segment! We are going to instill our very first literary merit yes. badge. Bestowing upon Bestowing. somebody that we think is cool. Yes. So basically the idea is... I liked the pun for yeah. literary merit badge, yes. so I decided to come up with a segment. What could for that it. be? What could that be? <sighs> so we're just we we often give shout outs to people in our recommendations, but now we have an official literary merit shout out. Yes, we will award the badges. Um, so it might be somebody that we know personally. It might be uh, somebody whose work we're a fan of. Just somebody that we're thinking about right now that we want to say, hey, this person's really cool. We want to recognize You deserve this pun. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Here it is for you. We recognize your greatness with this pun. Yes. Um, so our very first literary merit badge could go to none other than our dear friend, Leonora. Leonora. You know her. You love her. Leonora, you're a superhero, <laughs> a super cool and smart person, and we love you very And why much. are we awarding Leonora? Well, first? aside from her very great work as a film reviewer and all-around smart person, right now she is saving my butt and our <laughs> collective theatrical butts. Um, my play Puffs just opened, and we lost our sound technician days before opening. And I thought, who is a responsible adult that I know who (laughs) might have time to do this? And so I called on Leonora and she's like, I've never done this before, but I am happy to help. And she's doing a stellar job. Uh, We all love her very much. Um, And she's 
said that she's really having a great time and enjoying it and wants to do this again in the future and I couldn't be more pleased. Yay. So yay, Leonora. Win-win. So good. We need to like, I don't know, make like a, you on your computer, do like a literary merit badge. You can make a mer- uh, post yeah. on Twitter or I'll something. I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> like making you do more work. Here, you already do work. all the work for the podcast. <laughs> do another thing. You've got four days of not being on the show. <laughs> No, I probably will. Uh, it just sounds like fun. But yes, that's the that's this week's literary merit badge. Hooray. Oh, you were about to do an air horn and I cut you off. It's for the best. <laughs> it's for the best. And I was actually going to do a burp, burp, burp. Oh, well. But either way. <laughs> You've done it now. All right, let's, let's finish this. That does it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. Whoa. You can find you don't like this. You don't <laughs> this like is this. Lot, this is big. <laughs> I'm not ready for. No, do it. Not expecting. Do yeah. I have to start up? <laughs> I don't know if I can commit to it now that I've stopped. Uh, do what you gotta do. Okay, let me let me get my energy back. Let's I really it. like. It all just escaped me like like some sort just of... Just flew out of you like a like, ghost. Like a spirit. My spirit was expelled when I tried to do this weird, wacky radio voice. Okay, let me let me get back. Okay. Center. I, now I don't have the... Just really, How do I say it anymore? How do I... Okay. That does it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor.fm, and elsewhere. Please rate and subscribe so more nerds can find us. We appreciate it, and it really makes a difference. Review us, whatever you can do. Please. (laughs) So tired. (laughs) Check us out on Twitter at LitMeritPod for updates and news. And we'll also maybe be posting who the Literary Merit Badge winner is. Yeah, probably. Well, stay tuned. And thanks to Jonathan Colton for the use of our theme song, Fraud, from his album, Artificial Heart. Until next time. (laughs) Remember. I can't. I can't. (laughs) Try again. Until next time, remember, anything anything goes. I almost forgot what we were saying as we were saying it. on Plymouth Rock If today Any shock they should try to stem Instead of landing on Plymouth Rock Plymouth Rock would land on them In olden days A glimpse of stocking was a looked on as something shocking But now God knows Anything goes Good offers to once knew better words, now only used for letter words, writing prose.